Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. This afternoon, I'm going to teach a sermon entitled Time Management. Time Management. And I want by the grace of God to open your eyes to a very deep, deep realm on this aspect that will separate the revelation of time from what you'll receive uh, in a secular class. Note that what I'm going to share does not agree with how fallen wisdom teaches time, but I want by the grace of God to elevate your vision, to see deeper than what conventional education will teach you and to align many things to help you live the life that you should live. You see, one of the easiest things to do or be in this world is to be successful. It's one of the easiest things to be and do in this world. Only if you know or understand how it works, if you are equipped with the right tools, one of the easiest things to be and do in this world is success. One of the easiest things to be and do in this world is to build wealth or to be wealthy. To make it in life. It's one of the easiest things. Yet, it's one of the biggest challenges of humanity, especially for those of you and I who live in a third world country where many of the circumstances of poverty lack and strife and struggle are more imminent than perhaps people in the most developed world. Much as there's that general challenge, we also find that it's also relative when it comes to the individual because I know people in a third world country who've really made it so big in life. And don't be mistaken, God wants you successful. It's only if you will use that success for an idol, to build an idol in yourself and then worship it as your God, instead of seeing it as a tool to propel you to greater heights of influence for the sake of the kingdom. But he wants you successful. Your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jacob, they were not struggling men because God wants you successful so you'll do your part on the earth. The Hebrew always have that saying, you see. Then you manage, you know, yourself to a place where you'll carry the influence to leave the world a better place than the way you found it. It's one of the fundamental cores or values of Hebrew thought, okay? So, um, but if you look at 
people, for example, in this kind of world, most biggest percentage of people are struggling or probably they don't have the uh, opportunities that other people in some of the most developed nations have, and that's okay. But like I said, if you go individual, you realize that some people here are doing better than some people in the most developed nations because individually, sometimes or most of the time, it will go back to the principles that have been um, revealed to you, okay? My friends who come from places like the United States, if you visited places like South Dakota, if you visited places like um, Kensington, Philadelphia, some places in Iowa, I've been to some places in Nebraska, which are in abject poverty. One time I'm in California, Hollywood area, and you're like, oh my God, this is where all the stars of the world are. And then you're walking by the streets and then you find people in shacks and they're living on the street. You know, they're sleeping in shacks. They've built little shacks. In some parts of the world, they've built them with wood and some with tents and they look like any other, even worse than some of the third world people live. You see shacks on some streets like you'd find in some dark places in South Africa, like Soweto. And then you find that some people in a third world country live better than some of these people. Oh yes, these nations are advantaged because they can give services. And I think that's the secret, really, that they can give more services to their people than we third world countries are able to give. And that is education, that is food, health, you go to the United Kingdom and almost uh, treating a person of any sickness is free. While here, you're going to pay a sum to take somebody to Mango Hospital. You know, I had an auntie who I took there and they put her on oxygen for two weeks and I parted with more than $8,000. Yes, for two weeks. No operation, no nothing. It's happening in third world country. Okay, so yes, our governments are not able to give as the others are, but individually you find that some of the troubles that some of you face where you are, even people in the greatest parts of the world do face because eventually it goes back to that individual, you. Are you following what I'm saying? And there are many other aspects that we can teach in this success equation that not only touch our success in the world because that's not complete if we don't have the most important success, which is our part in the kingdom of God. But then there's a correlation between these principles that what you would require to be a success in this world are the same principles I find that we require to have to make us a success in the work of the kingdom. And the time element is one of the most crucial distinctions to manage time to manage time. Now the Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 verses 5, very strong statement Paul gives there. He says, walk in wisdom towards them that are without, comma, redeeming the time. There's two aspects here. One aspect is the aspect that Paul has given us the difference between people which walk in wisdom and people who do not walk in wisdom. Because wisdom is manifold. Huh? Wisdom is manifold. Is manifold wisdoms. Ephesians 3.10 speaks of the manifold wisdom of God. Wisdom is multidimensional. That's the word. It's multidimensional. 
And so you might be, you know, a star in one field, yet you don't know the other field of life. You might be an ace in one area of life, and yet you are indifferent about the other aspect of life. And that's why you keep a humble and teachable spirit, both to be willing to learn what is new and to break what is out of order or, or wrong concerning the patterns that you've built individually in your life. You must be humble. Don't be stiff-necked, you know, to be hell-bent on one aspect of interpreting life. Because as you continue to grow, even while you think you understand and view life, you're always going to find the English people call them a boogeyman. A boogeyman. God has designed life to create one person who will always challenge you in every area you assume to know. They call them boogeymen, right? There's a person who God will bring one day in your life. And if you're indifferent to God's way and pattern, you'll just become jealous and envious of that person and want to kill or destroy what they carry on their lives because some of you do not know how to handle when you meet someone greater than you. And it's a discipline, especially you must teach a child. Because if you don't teach it to a child when they're growing up, they become so dangerous when they're adults. How do you handle one greater? When you meet somebody with a greater grace, a greater glory, a greater wisdom, how do you deal with them? Because some people do not know how to handle something greater. They go through that thing called cognitive dissonance. The mind is hit in such a state of confusion. And then they find themselves either denying it or setting themselves against it or disqualifying it because it is greater. Because they know no other way. Their mind is literally frozen because they've found somebody greater. And then if you don't train your children that way, I think it begins when they're kids. And the kid comes, I've been around kids long enough, and a kid comes the end of term and he says, but why did Jackson win me? That's his problem. Jackson scored higher marks. You see? So how are you to help that brain? To design it in a way or program it in a way of accepting that there'll always be somebody who will provoke you out of your comfort zones. In fact, there's a portion of scripture that speaks of how certain men will invest and pursue wisdom because they've been provoked by one greater. Life has been designed that way. Although it might be dangerous if you're not established in truth because then you will pursue a lasting and then compete where you must find purpose. But by and large, it's important in life to be provoked to a greater person than you are today by finding people who will always sharpen you, okay? And provoke you to go back and seek God and, you know, work your craft and invest in who you are to become a better being. You need them. You need them. It's a good thing. Okay? But if you're not trained right, it will destroy you. But I was trying to tell us here that there are manifold wisdoms in God. So you could be a star in one aspect, ace in it, and yet fail in one other. And yet God has called you to be a holistic being. Wholeness. Complete in every degree of life. Okay? I'll give you an example. I've said this once or twice. I gave a story. One time I'm on a flight somewhere. And usually when I'm on a flight, sometimes I want to hear, you know, documentaries about how the world sees other things and how people in the world think and speak. Because the Bible tells us actually that wisdom is on the streets, okay? And I think it has been my conclusion in life that there are people who are so absent from the wisdom that God has designed to be on the street. 
And they sort of allude to a more consecrated and separated life of God because they assume that it's only from that consecration that God would teach them. But it's only because they don't know the ways of God. And I find such people wanting, okay? Because some of, as you continue to grow, you disagree a bit. Our father, Smith Wigglesworth, and I call him our father because he's one of the most uh, distinctive voices of the faith. This man raised 27 dead bodies. You don't play with that kind of man. He's called the apostle of faith in modern uh, Pentecostal history. Smith Wigglesworth, I remember, I think I read a story, was it of Lester Sumerall? So this young man comes to visit him shortly before he dies and he's come for an impartation and then he sees him with a newspaper under his armpits and he tells him, leave that newspaper on the door because Smith Wigglesworth was so inclined to the word of God that he never wanted to read anything concerning the world. And much as it's a good thing, especially if somebody has not yet found certain balances in God, it is not something that I would 100% agree with because we live in the world. And whether you know it or not, besides what you're reading in the Bible and what you will commune with God, there are things that God has designed for you to pick by understanding and interpreting the world because he designed it too. Okay, that's why the Bible says that wisdom is on the streets. She cries out on the streets. Okay, it's she cries out and uttereth her voice in the streets. Now, for men which only dwell on the mountain, they might lose the wisdom that comes with the streets. Okay, that is why even in your world, you have a colloquial term called street wise. You know, there are some people who are street smart. Mm -hmm. They know how to find their way in life. And then you find people who cannot even cross the road. There are people, there are people I know here. If they stood on that road tomorrow, we would find them in the obituary. They can't even cross the road. Then you say, I'm spiritual. You, no, 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 you have a problem. You have a problem. You're not going to raise people who are spiritual, but they can't even cross the road. Do you know we have Christians who are tongue-speaking, spirit-filled, demon-chasing, they're consecrated in life, and then you put them in a company to work, and they don't know what to do. Give them a contract and tell them, go and sell this product. They don't know what to do. And then they don't know that that can be an opportunity for them to mobilize or preach the gospel in the marketplace. So you become only functional in that wisdom which you know, but you are not exposed to higher wisdoms or greater wisdoms. God would require, not only, I mean, you bring a lame man, let them walk. Blind eyes, let us open them. When they take us in the world, when they discuss quantum physics, have a clue. When they talk about artificial intelligence, have a clue. When they talk about augmented realities, have a clue. When they talk about batteries and how these electric cars are evolving, have a clue. When they talk about gene editing, just have a clue. Because at a certain point, you're not able to minister to if you cannot speak in their world. Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might serve some. But you're chasing out the newspaper that will help you become them to serve them. That's myopic. That's short-sightedness. Okay? So, this lady, she's a minister, I think of education in United Arab Emirates. And then she's having a talk of how now there's a general, you know, agreement, you know, within the systems of government that if you were to assess the two worlds, intelligence, quotient, IQ, and emotional, quotient, IQ, which is also a EQ, which is also a wisdom, by research and data, which you cannot deny, they started to study individuals, defining hypothetical circumstances and observing them even without their notice. 
to see how do they respond in such circumstances. The man of intelligence questions, who probably has a high IQ, 150, 140, 160, close to Einstein and above. And the man who has a low IQ. What about the man who has a high IQ, emotional quotient, or a lower EQ, emotional quotient? Now let's put them in these circumstances. Let's put them in a business deal. They are haggling and bargaining. Let us put them in, a, in an organization setting to run an administrative uh, system. Let us put them in accounts. Let us try them in engineering. And this research concluded that people with emotional quotient, EQ, were usually more functional and their work was more applicable in the world than people with intelligent quotient. Meaning that now people are discovering that your IQ, intelligence quotient, is not enough to reconcile a man to the success equation. And it is true if you study, you go back to your life as you understand it, and then remember the students, top five students in class. One, two, three, four, five. Very smart, okay? You go study. If you're among those five, unfortunately, probably you're the example I'm using, and the guy who was 15, 16 is watching you now, but that's okay. One, two, three, top five, top 10 students. And then study them in life. And probably they graduated top of their class in primary, graduated top of their class in senior four, graduated top of their class in senior six, graduated top of their class in university and probably have their first degree, uh, first class. And then you probably have been given the opportunity like I have been many years out of school and I can assess. Many of them are not as successful as you thought they would because they were smart in class. If you understand, you put your hand. I want a witness. Many of them. A big percentage of them don't make it successfully. Well, they can buy a car in life, build a house. And you hear those stories of, eh, your mother was smart in school. She used to be first in class. And then what happened? That guy's dad was smart in class. Okay? And then what happened? There's other things that contribute to the successful equation. And that is why now the Chinese invented this thing called naive meritocracy. Naive meritocracy. That there was a world where, you know, especially the Europeans had designed or programmed or oriented people to think that you are only as successful as the merit that you have earned in life. But yet, there seemed to be people in life who, when we study for some time, we realize that they are not necessarily up there by merit, but they are a success in life. You find this guy, for example, who did not go to school, but is one of the most successful businessmen. So you see. And then you have this student who has a degree in business administration. A master's in business administration. Another master's in international trade. Another master's. And you have this whole shelf of credentials. Okay? And they're not worth $10,000. Then you find a fellow who didn't go to school. Even math is a problem. They can't write, <laughs> they can't write the amount of money in words. 
but they are wealthy. So you ask yourself, so how then did this one come through? Oh yes, because there are other wisdoms that you cannot learn in a classroom. You can't. They are not told. Okay? So people like UAE, United Arab Emirates, okay, where almost 80% of the population is imported labor. The 20% of the Emiratis, the biggest chunk of those kids, they don't need to work a day to make wealth because they are born into wealth and affluence. They don't understand those things your parents used to sit you up in the night under the candle and tell you, my daughter, study hard, we are poor. They don't get life that way. So, how do we prepare people like this? Do we only reward their intellectual acuity? Or is there other aspects of life? And then they discover that emotional intelligence is needed most in that world. How do you talk to people? How do you present yourself before greatness? If you're standing in an office and you're going for an interview, before people who have the power to employ you or reject you, how do you present yourself? And then a kid goes for an interview, and it happens especially with the 90 bonds and 2000s, because they were not beaten enough. Like they were not, you know. This guy is on an interview, and he's crossing his legs. And he's leaning in the back, and he's swinging the chair. I studied masters in uh, business administration. And the bosses who are hiring him are seated in a 90 degree posture because they understand the responsibility of the power they have. And the guy wants a job. And yes, by the books he qualifies. But by emotional intelligence he doesn't. Because that's not how you sit before greatness. And yet you want it to invite you. Maybe he's sitting like that because he's still delusioned by the cloud of his father's wealth. They were raised in a rich family. Recently, I met a young man who was getting married, of course not from this church. And I saw how he was talking to the parents. I felt so sorry for the girl. You know, we can also feel sorry for Sam. The boy is talking, he's dropping his eyes like, you know, like everything is there. And the little boy, he doesn't even have money to pay rent, but he's all pompous and inflated with an ego that... And, you know, I would understand when a kid is spoiled from a rich family, but I don't get it when you come from a broke family. <laughs> and you look spoiled. I don't get that thing. I don't know if some of you have met it. Eh? You come from a poor, you're already poor, you smell poverty, and you're talking like you're a king's kid. I didn't feel sorry for him. I felt for the woman who's going to handle this. Am I preaching? So, now, people in Saudi Arabia, they're investing more and designing education more from an emotional quotient, interpersonal skills. Little small things 
like teach your children to greet. You find somebody's kid there are four years, they just look at you and pass. And that's the being tomorrow you're going to raise and you think that that brain can manage an organization. It can't. Because that means it won't be present emotionally. Little small things. Little small things. How do you talk to somebody older than you? They might be wrong, but they're older than you. How do you address them? You see what I'm saying? Title them and say, sir, because they're older than you. They're not your peer. The guy can say, no, 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 call me Dave. Don't call him Dave. Call him Mr. Dave. No, 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 simply Dave. No insistence on Mr. Dave. Because that's how life is. There's something that rewards you. Directly or indirectly. Because the Bible has told you, give honor to whom honor is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Praise to whom praise is due. You're not going to break the pattern because somebody wants you to break it. Probably they're brought up wrong. You know? Been to families where kids address their parents by names. And you're like, hmm, wow. Okay? It's part of a spoiled world. Because if you can't tame it from a family system, how are they going to become responsible citizens tomorrow? And then you switch on television, CNN or something, or probably they don't agree with their president, or probably they have a problem with Biden, or they have a problem with Trump, or they have a problem with Museveni, or anybody. But somebody cannot speak ideologically, reasonably, logically. They are not composed even in their speech. They are speaking like spoiled kids. And then she's annoyed with somebody. The other day I saw, years ago, I think, was it Pelosi? I think she was so frustrated with Trump and his words. And then she stood in front there and then she tore papers. That's a spoiled kid. That's not a leader. Okay, so you're tearing papers. What are you teaching the kid on television? You're telling kids that every time you have a tantrum, express it. Do you understand what I'm saying? People can't even argue in ideas. You see parliamentarians, guys who went to school and they are punching each other, poo, poo, poo. You're strangling me. And then... You... <laughs> they can't even handle an intellectual talk. And if somebody is provoked to a place where they dismiss their idea and prove it to carry no water, it's enough to provoke a guy to anger and then he gets a guy in the neck. Who raised them? Who raised them? What were their parents doing? And those are the politicians. Those are the leaders we are voting. Those are the people that are leading your children. And your child is going to switch on television. And then they are going to see parliamentarians fighting, adults. What do you think this kid is going to do in class? Hmm? So the depravity of the human soul and the frustration that now goes to corrupt even the basic core. That people start to act in ways as if something was not fixed when they were little. So you have a bigger problem now. You people think our problems are corruption. Those are secondary. Go back to the person who's not been disciplined even to know how to work with another human being. They're polarized in thought. They're like an island. Some of them are inflated eh, with false opinions of themselves, subjective opinions of themselves, and then they will impose those opinions on other people. 
because it's important for them to be heard than for them to listen, okay? I think some of you should read that book of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is it? I read it about 13 years ago. And in one of those points, I always emphasize this when I'm teaching, I tell them that statement, seek to understand before you are understood, okay? It's, it's a fundamental principle, whether you are tongue-speaking, spirit-filled or led by the Holy Spirit. There is an order. Seek to understand before you are understood. Okay, can you first give somebody the opportunity to explain themselves so you understand them first, so you speak from where they understand you. Okay, uh, that's not important. I have the Holy Spirit. You're sick. You're sick. You take that nonsense in an organization and think that you'll survive a day. That's why they can't keep jobs. Especially these younger guys. They can't keep jobs. They can't keep jobs. Then you hear a kid telling you, I'm quitting. And you hear what they are quitting for, and it's not even an ounce of what their parents went through. And remember, this is years of education. You have invested money since they were in primary, and perhaps they even went to an international school. You understand what I'm saying? They speak that English of... <laughs> I studied in Cambridge. Oh, so what happened when you went to Cambridge? What happened when you studied the Cambridge syllabus? At the end of the day, you're going to put your Cambridge syllabus aside, and learn how to talk to people. And learn how to land a business deal. And learn how to sell milk to a cow and water to a fish. That one is not taught in school. That one especially, that one is with parents. It's with parents. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So, there is many ways God reveals his wisdom. That's why these people now are saying, now let's invest here. Because it's more important for people to learn how to live or work with other people. That's why now when Paul says in Colossians that walk with wisdom among them which are without, it means there's a huge bunch of people who don't function in wisdoms because some wisdoms are silent. They are hidden. They are sacred. They are secret. But he's saying, if you get those wisdoms and acquaint yourselves with them, you will walk in wisdom among them which don't carry. And for anybody who walks in this wisdom will redeem time. So if you are struggling to manage yourself concerning time, there's a fundamental wisdom that you lack. I don't care how much intellectual acuity, like I said, you have. I don't care how much smart you think you are, if you cannot manage time, there's a wisdom you lack. And it's what I want to give you today. Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1. He says a very fundamental statement here. To everything, everything, there is a season, comma, and a time to every purpose under the heavens. Every season. Every season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. There's a time. And time is designed to work for men which have obtained higher wisdoms. These are the things that qualify you to function above many of the things some people assume you need, which might be important, but are not necessarily the qualifier. 
following what I'm saying? That's why I told you there are different wisdoms that guarantee your success. In the first service, I gave an example. For example, you know, they used to tell us when you grow up and buy a car and build a house, 26, now it's time to marry. It's time. Are you hearing the word time? It's time, okay? So they reconcile you to the time of marriage because as a man, you have a car, you have a job, you have a house. But what do you need now? You get a woman to come into that house. But when you read the Bible, you realize that there's more wisdom required to run a house, to manage a woman more than a house and a car. You understand? The Bible says in 1 Peter, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. What about that one? According to knowledge. Women, let me tell you something. Men, I'm going to give you a deep secret. Very deep secret. If a woman has or wants to have a deliberate conversation with you, usually these beings are very contemplative. They don't get disturbed or perturbed or concerned or they don't build up something in their head and want to talk to you immediately about it. By the way God designed them, they first think it through. For us, we attack. If it just comes like this, I don't like this, you just put it as it is, you drop it as it is. These ones, they first take time. Calculate how you think. <laughs> Weigh your intellectual capacity. And then they start the conversation in their head. Now, I'm going to tell him this. But if I tell him this, there are two answers he can give me. <laughs> this is them thinking. And he can either say this or that. If he answers this way, then I know that it's going to work. But if he doesn't answer this way and he answers the other way, then I have to bring up this issue such that I can break this and then drive him back to where we are. But if he fails, then I'll bring up trick number five, then pause it for a while and keep quiet, then do something to gladden his heart a bit. And at the point when he's glad like this, I'll bring back that conversation, but in a way where I'll not say it directly, but I'll first touch it a bit and then wait and then we go like that until I get my issues. Now that's them thinking. So when the Bible says deal with them according to knowledge. You also have to be smart. So once your wife now, those of you are not married, don't know it, but for us who are married, once your wife tells you I need to talk to you. <laughs> Start looking in your head. What? How? Where are we going? Go to the dictionary. Look to the encyclopedia. Because you're already in trouble. They're going to trap you. They're going to get it out of you whether you want it or not. Start constructing your brain now and say, ha, where are we going? If you're not ready, you say, don't worry, we shall talk. <laughs> And then first go back and reflect and say, eh, what did I do? 
Okay, here I don't have a trouble. Okay, here I didn't do anything. What does she want? Oh, she wants money. How much could she want? Then prepare yourself mentally. And say, uh-huh, baby, you wanted us to talk. What's up? <laughs> so, by the time they start here, already your brain has to be wise enough to now come here like this. Because they're smarter. So you have to counter and say, now, okay, if they're bringing this issue now, even they have to think that now this is where we're going, so I have to calculate this thing and then go here. And then they come here, then you go here, and then you come here. Come Knowledge! By the time the conversation is agreed, we are agreed, but there's a win-win. Otherwise, man, they can take you out. You girls are smart, they can take you out. You understand? But you see, you think it is time to marry because you have a kind of house. No. Deeper wisdom. In knowledge. Because this thing Peter calls the weaker vessel, that is actually strength. Their weakness is their strength. Do you know, literally, the Philistines defeated Samson by a Catholic woman. Tell me the secret. <laughs> Tell me. Tell me. And you know, the problem with Samson, the Bible says, like she made him to lay down. Man, when this brain goes like this, <laughs> men, <laughs> that's why our fathers advise us when you get into that commercial, sit upright. <laughs> She made him to sleep upon her knees. Already, the brain, the brain was suspended. Am I helping somebody? No, some conversation, man of God, sit up. Say that you're thinking right. <laughs> that weakness is strength, actually. Praise the Lord. Anyway, back to what I was saying. He says to everything, every purpose. The Bible says there is a time for every purpose under the sun. So, God purposes circumspectly to the realm of time. Okay? To the realm of time. Now, and I see that for the perfect balance of this, you need to borrow two philosophies. You need to borrow the Greek philosophy on time and the Jewish or Hebrew uh, philosophy on time. And ahead there, I'll explain to you why you need both. You can live in one of the worlds. You need the reconciliation of both because this is actually the full counsel of Christ. Okay? Remember the Bible says that the Jews seek after a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. To the Jew and to the Greek, the Bible says Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. You cannot only dwell in the realm of power. There are things you can't fix in the equation of power. You need wisdom. And the things you cannot fix in the realm of wisdom, you need the power of God. Okay? So you need the reconciliation of both to understand. And that's why I'm trying to give you a juxtaposition between the Greek thought and a few things you will need there and the Hebrew philosophy on time. You remember I have taught about Kronos, religious chronology, and Kairos. For those of you who have not watched that someone, I will refer you back to that someone, Kronos versus Kairos. 
for you to separate the timings of men and the times of God. Because this is an important aspect to anything touching purpose. So you need this wisdom. You're serious about living your Christian life. So, when you study Greek philosophy, they are very sensitive with the rhythms of time, like we all ought to. So they study time in its rhythms and they study events. They study circumstances. They study perpetual ebbs and tides. They, the flow of tides. They study weather patterns and the changes of weather. They study the cycles of seasons, the four seasons, and they ask those questions of why has this one changed from the previous? Because remember, this philosophy, the Greeks look at time as an axis that moves in a cycle, which Ecclesiastes agrees with, chronology agrees with, that which is, has been, and shall be. So patterns are consequentially going to repeat themselves one day. There's nothing new under the sun. There's something happening now, and one day it will happen again. So they understand that. Let us follow the rhythms and see what are the changes between the previous experience when this happened to the experience that now is in the repetition of this cycle, but only to the end that they will be able to prepare themselves in that wisdom to survive when that time comes. It's a very major building block of Greek philosophy. Um, let's give an example of rains, okay? At what times in our part of the world do rains come? Okay, this, this season. So we know the seasons of rains, yes. Which year did the rains come earlier? Which year did the rains come late? Which year did the sun shine most or didn't? Last year, I think there was a date in June. I read about it somewhere. There was a date in June. I forget the day exactly. Is it 16th or something? I think the day was longer than it was in human history. Of course, that, that, yeah, it was a milestone. But if you're going to a Greek mind, they're going to ask themselves, why was the day longer in that day of life than the history? of modern mankind as we know it. Why? From the time they started to study patterns, why was this day longer than the rest? And what's the signification of that day to the other elements, the tectonic plates, the systems of the weather, the, the way of life? Well, what effect does that have, generally speaking? Oh, it was just a longer day. You see what I'm saying? They want to go deeper and search out and, you know, decipher everything because if they discover a very deep event spiritually that connects to that day, the next day it happens, they are prepared to connect to everything it comes with. You see what I'm saying? So it's a good thing because it teaches you how to survive and it teaches the most important element of life, which is preparation. Very key. But Greek thought does not have any bearing on the ability to change these seasons, to change these patterns. It only makes you as a passive uh, participant in 
how these elements evolve, and then you have to only apply yourself in your dynamic sense to adjust and shift to them um, so you can survive better. Then that's not Jewish or Hebrew thought. Hebrew thought says you can actually have an effect on these elements and how they function. Okay? And because that element is key. The other one is key as well because it helps you study life from a pattern perspective. You see? From the general space, macro, to even the micro little things. Okay? Why do you have a headache? Okay? Then you start a pattern that it usually comes in this period. Does it come in a cold season? Okay? Scientifically, the doctor can say maybe this headache is followed by a cold. And then you find people who have a headache every Wednesday. Hmm, why is this pattern coming this way? Or why is it that every time I'm going to, you know, get into a certain job or opportunity of something, something comes up. And then you can start a pattern one at a time but then you, you don't have answers. Because if you don't have answers, then how do you break the pattern? Okay, you remember a man, 38 years. How do you say that every time he wants to fall into the water to be healed, somebody gets in there before him? 38 years. 38. Because some of you do not know that many of these things are connected to your destiny in such a way you will never understand. And that is why we bring in the Greek thought or philosophy, that you have the opportunity to affect these elements. So for them, time is not chronos only, but it is kairos, which is God's ordained time. And kairos is a definitive direction of dimension. In other words, they look at time as a precursor of directing your destiny. Okay? So every aspect of time and how you use time eventually has a consequence on your destiny. And that is true also. So it's not just the events that happen in life like my Greek mind would think, which is the wisdom. But here also, in the realm of power, this man has seen that they've been able to effect dimensions, paradigms, patterns, with the power of God, according to how they have dealt with time, because they see or understand that the time aspect has a bearing with divine purpose. God can design your destiny this way, and then you do something that can affect that direction, and God can design your world differently because you did something that affected the elements, which my Greek man says he has no control over, but now Hebrew thought tells you you will have control over these things. And then time then becomes of an essence. It becomes of an essence. Because what you do with your time determines your direction in life. I'll give you a simpler example. A lady comes to me once and she said, since my graduation, it's been three years and I don't have a job. Three years of trying to look for a job and she can't find any. And then as I bow my head like this to pray, the Spirit of the Lord gives me a word of knowledge. And I saw a very interesting vision. So I asked this lady, did you attend the last two services? And she was a regular follower, regular attendant. And she said no. And I told her, the Lord tells me that it's not so much of the prayer you need, 
but that you missed a moment in those two sermons that were supposed to heal your three years. Now, we did not have the discussion of how many possible, you know, times this could have happened in life where the devil sort of snatched what she needed when she needed it because the devil is that subtle, he's that smart. Some of you think from here, so you think the devil is there. No, he's not there. The devil designs seasons. He might not understand times, but he designs seasons. He can sense when you're entering a season because it is given to him to design seasons. He can know that this brother is in a season of progress, but he doesn't know what time or what milestone will propel you to that place of progress or success. And so he can design a world or put circumstances to frustrate you in the little small things so you lose the direction or are distracted deliberately to lose what must come because he hopes that in you losing certain milestones, you will not connect to your season. The devil knows it, but Christians don't. And that's so sad. That is so sad. Because if you, if you understood this, you'd probably understand better the parables like of the foolish virgins. How some carry wisdom to preserve oil for the coming of this fellow, and how some, without wisdom, burn out their lamps foolishly and take no oil with them so at the time of opportunity, they cannot meet the voice that should propel them to the next level of success or blessing because they did not use wisdom in the time that they were given. All of them were given the same resources but one used things differently or determined their course in their ignorance or indifference or folly, and they could not achieve what the other could achieve, yet all of them were gifted the same. And you think it's just a parable, but this happens every day. Some of you missed your Kairos moments. That's why you're where you are. I'll give you an example. The day I wanted to get a job, the Spirit of the Lord woke me up that morning and I wore my clothes and told me, go to the streets and buy newspapers and check in the newspaper column and see which jobs are available. I remember I woke up, as I'm sloping on that road, I meet the lady who had hired me when I was in primary. How are you? On the road. What are you doing with yourself? And I said, I just graduated. Do you have a job? No. She told me, come tomorrow morning. I didn't waste my time to buy a newspaper. Opportunity met me at the right time. At the right time. Now, you will not imagine an eon or an age or a period or a situation or circumstance where I delayed that appointment by three minutes. It would mean my blessing would pass. I had to be in the appointed time of God to be at the right place, not only right place, but also at the right time. Certain things cannot come unless you're positioned in those two, firstly in the right place and at the right time. This is the man at the well, 38 years. He's in the right place. He's at the well, but he cannot time. He can't get it to know when to go in or not. And that's trouble. So he cannot get his healings. For some of you, it's that, that you are actually not reconciled with the timings of your elevation. You miss that which should propel you to the next place, and you don't know it. So this lady, 
I tell her, listen to those two sermons. She listens to those two sermons. In two weeks, two, one, two, she had a job. Two. Only because she listened to a sermon which deliberately the devil created circumstances for, for her to miss. That's why I tell you, if you miss a sermon physically, look for it online and watch it because you never know which sermon has your answer. You never know. Because all of you have been defined by many sermons, but there is that one sermon, you remember, that took you out of one specific issue. You can say, you remember that sermon? Yes, that's when I got my healing. You remember that sermon? Yes, that's when I got my job. You remember that sermon? Yes. Now imagine a person who needed exactly that, but they were not reconciled to that sermon. It means they have to wait for another cycle. When it comes back, when the Spirit should stir the waters again, for that to come out of the man of God, and it could be four, five years, or three years, or four months. And they could miss it again, and the cycle repeats itself, because whether you want it or not, what that which has been has, shall be, and is. It's like that. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you learning something? Okay? One of those days, there's this lady who was dealing with a very bad disease, very, very bad disease. And that day, that evening, it was a Thursday, I got the wisdom and grace, and God told me everything about this lady. So I call out that name of that person suffering from that issue, and I think two ladies came with the same names. They were suffering with similar issues, but the particular person I was looking for did not come. And in my spirit, because I knew the person, I couldn't see them there. And I said, okay, let me pray for these two. Because they also had the same names, but had similar issues. I think you've noticed sometimes when I call out people with words of knowledge, sometimes I say, you're not the one I'm looking for. Because sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I have a prayer vision of who. When I look at them, I think you've seen me define clothes, shoes, say they are putting on this kind of show one because I can see them. So this individual specifically was not there. After praying for these people, I believe they healed. This person who I was looking for sends me a message after and said, Apostle Grace, you called my name, but I was not there. So I asked them, where were you? And they told me at the time you called, I was in the toilet. I said, ah. which devil is this? that awakened somebody's bladder at a time when they need a miracle. What is that thing that took them to the toilet at the time when their name was going to be called out? And you think the devil didn't sense something. He did. He just didn't know how it was working so he can create a circumstance. And some of you have been diverted from great, great doors. Great gates have opened before you and you missed that moment because you're not attuned to this wisdom. There are men without. But you know the Bible tells you wisdom is profitable to direct. That's what the Bible says. Wisdom is profitable to direct. And that is why now, like I said, the Jewish fellow sees a direction, dimension, in however you use time. That if you use time wrongly, you could affect a very fundamental course or milestone in your destiny. And some of you, your destinies are not aligned. They are out of line. You're praying, you're fasting. But you know why things cannot agree with you? Because spiritually, you're not aligned right. You're out of time. And there's such a thing. When you read Paul, Paul says, I was like one which was born out of time. You see, he has his regrets. He has his regrets. He says, at last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. That means Paul has a certain consciousness of when he feels he should have known the Christ. Don't underestimate that. It ain't mean that 
it was the will of God functionally for Paul to see Christ that way. There could have been another opportunity for him to have had a reconciliation of time from when he meets the master. And he senses in his spirit that there was another opportunity for him to know Christ earlier than or in the way of his Damascus experience. There was another way. So don't think that because it's that way, then that means that's the way God has chosen for you. No, you also have a part. You also have a part to play in connecting to the things of God. You have a part to play. You see? Because there are people, for example, right now, God is waiting for to adjust a certain way so he can use them. But they're rebellious. They're using their time differently. That doesn't mean that heaven has not designed when or how they should function. It only means that they chose another course because they have actually... You see, remember in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve to the fall? God tells the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thou go and dust shall thou eat all the days of your life. So if God is telling the serpent, because you have done this, so you have to ask the hypothetical question, what if the serpent hadn't done it? There should have been another destiny designed for the serpent. Don't underestimate the power of will. The fact that God has given you will for you to choose what to do, when to do it. And then it's for you, you're going to passively abandon this and hold back and say, it's the will of God. If he wants to use me, let him use me. If he wants to move me, let him move me. As long as he doesn't do that, I'm going to stay seated, static. You're sick. You don't understand how God works. No, that's not how God works. If he says, I have called you, right? invest your time in that calling. You see, preparation is key. Jesus had a process to 30 years. Now, imagine by the time he gets in 2.30, he was just, you know, chilling. So Satan has understood us. He has understood us. And he has devised every means for us to waste time. I told you, Google recorded that the last two years, 2021, 2020, more data was created in those two years than all human history combined. Who was consuming that data? The generation of information overload. You are the generation they call information overload. Your minds are overloaded with so much information that you might never need. And Satan has, for so far, robbed you of all the innovations and dreams and plannings and constructions that you could have had in your mind because he knows by taking your time, he frustrates your destiny. You sit down on a TikTok video and flip through one hour, two hours, three hours, you threw a TikTok video while the world is moving. Stock markets are changing. You know, trade is evolving. Science is evolving. Politics, geopolitical themes are changing. Things, the world is changing every day. Huh? Recently, I saw a video of Google, the owners of Google repenting because they were behind time. The guys who have created, you know, GPT, right? They were thinking and constructing while these guys were, you know, having fun with whatever answers they were giving the people and all they were doing was to improve an engine that in a few years was going to be disrupted by a higher mind. Now, if ChatGPT evolves as we see, Google won't have answers anymore. ChatGPT will have that answer. Now, they're all in panic mode and they're sitting down to say, what did we miss? Oh yeah, maybe, maybe just maybe, a lot of time was robbed of them investing in things that they were not supposed to invest into. What is that used to a person who is looking for rent today? What is that information useful for a man who is looking for a job today or for that guy who is looking for the next high school? Oh yes, it will be one day. It will be one day. You just see things from a micro perspective, not the bigger picture. 
you forget that you are part of that system, a network that defines this world that you're living in and that you have a part whether you know it or not. Are you learning something? Yes, whether you know it or not. So some of you think you're just going to sit there and then watch things. You're in TikTok the whole day. Ta, 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 ta. You're doing WhatsApp. Ta, 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 ta. YouTube videos. Ta, 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 ta. Night, the 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 night. Okay? Your phone is warning you. You used five hours more last week than this week. Some of you have phones that can warn you. Some of your phones are too old. They don't want to warn you because they will alert you. Are you following what I'm saying? There are people here, and let me charge you. If you want to know how infestedly sick you are, Switch off internet for seven hours. You start feeling the real feelings a drug addict who is on withdrawal feels. Because scientists tell us that internet addiction, which now World Health Organization has recognized now as a sickness, you know, it's the same as the same addiction on a drug or any other thing. Put off internet for four or five hours and just put it off. You start feeling your body itching. You feel like something is wrong. You know those days, for those of us who remember those earlier years where electricity used to go every four or five times a week? You know how you felt when electricity had gone? Like you felt your whole world had crumbled. You felt, me I did, okay, those of you who are holy, congratulations. But I remember those days when electricity used to go. And you know those women who were stuck on those soap operas, Riviera, oh, Salvador, Sorenza. The rich also cry, oh my God. And at the middle, when Ben is about to kiss Megan, then you hear a scream of a woman from deep there saying, oh God, this electricity. But it's that addiction. And it always went at that point. I don't know why they choose eh? That come moment when you're in the middle of the movie, which you've been dying. Uh-huh. Now that feeling, that's the feeling many of you have if you took off internet for one hour. You can't. Oh yeah, you know it's connected to your work, but do you work on Sunday? Nah. You need to check the next thing. You're scrolling. But something is taking you. Something is taking you. That's why I told you our generation cannot contemplate. They cannot even sit down for one hour or 30 minutes just to meditate. You can't. It's too much for you. You're taken by another man's craft who just sat down and said, how can I get this guy? Huh? And then they said, okay, there's a documentary I saw three years ago. Social Dilemma. If you've not watched Social Dilemma, go and look for it. So somebody designs algorithms that are going to take you, even when is it finishing service, for you to go where? <laughs> where are you going, you? You want to go back to your car game on the phone? You didn't finish it. Are you following? You want to go back and just sit and say, so, now they are planning things and our minds are taken. Now because they know they can get us. Deeper things are being planned right now that are going to affect us in the coming few years. Because the consciousness is shifting with the arts. They release a Netflix movie and two people of the same sex are kissing. You watch it again. You watch it again. You watch it again. Your consciousness has shifted. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it's harder to sell that to the black community. So what do you do then? Every, you know, being that, you know, is of that orientation, 
let us make characters that are black. So it can be understood also. Ah, because it's a harder thing in these cultures. Consciousness has shifted. You see? But there's a lot that takes you in there in that equation because we get you on that series and you watch season one and see 12 episodes. By the time you're in the 13th, you'll understand this if it comes in because you're already connected and arrested by the plot. Yeah, let's overlook it, but this story was nice, eh? Let's continue. But a consciousness has been shifted. Subconsciously, a seed has been planted in you. You don't know how far it's going to go. Do you think on these things? Do you think the world is the way you see it? No. It's deeper things. Hallelujah. That's why David says, make me know my end. In Psalms 39, verses 4, and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know that I'm frail. Because many of us are not conscious that you have one lifetime, and if Christ is not yet back, eventually you'll have to ascend. Whether by a whirlwind like Elijah or through sleeping, either way you will go. You have one life. And some of you, how do you know that you've already lived more than 70% of your life? How do you know maybe you've lived more than 80% of your life? Maybe, maybe you, you've lived more than 90. How do you know? How do you know? Because you cannot gauge it on your age. No. That's the wrong bearing to measure this. Your God is a God of numbers. He's a God of measures. He's a God of counts. He counted the Sabbath. He counted the feasts. He calculates everything. When Noah should go in, when he should. He calculates time. He is conscious. He's a manager of time. You might not be, but God is. You don't just wake up and think, ah, let me just chill home and be nothing. No, heaven is not thinking that way. You must design your life to be actively attuned to the timing of the Spirit, to be where you should be and do the things you must do when you must do them. That's why he says in Psalms 90 verses 12, teach us to number our days, to appoint our days. Because for us, at least we have the opportunity to change eons and align them to divine purpose. He has entrusted us with that ability. The word there to number here is to appoint, to design, to speak, to recall, to assign, to prepare our days that we might apply our hearts unto your wisdom. Because again, the reconciliation of time always comes with an equal measure of the wisdom of God. You see what I'm saying? You must apply yourself every time. Yeah, you can have times of leisure. You can recreate, I have fun, I play basketball, I do all these things. But after I have attended to divine purpose, I'll wake up and play a game, scrabble with my wife. I, I don't do that. But after I have attended to the needs and times of heaven, what you don't compromise, and that's why I tell people, Compromise anything, but don't compromise time with God. Don't. 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 It begins with these little things. Okay? I was telling a group of pastors, and I told them, look, you cannot be a successful minister. No man is a successful minister if they have not learned how to work with the time dimension. Because that's fourth dimension. The world is three-dimensional. Fourth dimension of the spirit is time. The timings of heaven, the time, Kairos, versus the timings of the earth, Kronos. Because if you don't understand that mystery, 
you will not do in a short time what takes people ages to do. The quickening spirit, the spirit of speed works with men who know how to reconcile these times. Now, you write on the wall and say, our service begins at 10 a.m. That's you writing it on the wall. The Holy Spirit, God, has agreed with you that you said that on a Thursday, 5 p.m., Fanero service should begin. That is what you designed it to be. If there should be any extensions beyond that time, let it be a technical issue, a glitch that is beyond these people to do a repair. Let it be something which is in the range of unavoidable circumstances. But let it not be in your own doing, your own laxity and laziness for you to delay the Spirit of God. And I've seen pastors who have yielded more to Jezebel than they are with the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God makes you a servant of God and therefore a servant of man, not a slave of men. Because if it enslaves you, then it's Jezebel. Jezebel only submits to what she can control, not out of the ambits of what she can control. I was dealing with a pastor once who told me, oh, you know, we started a Saturday service. So ask them why. Well, some families told us that on Sundays it's the time they, you know, recreate with their people and they want to catch up because they have a busy week and they want to be with their family so they cannot make it on Sunday. And probably it was a very active church member who probably was a good contributor to the building and he loves his church, but it's no longer conducive to his Sunday because on Sunday they got to be with the family. They got to be. They got to be with the family. They got to be with the family. So I asked this minister, I said, did God tell you to put a Saturday service or you're working at the convenience of a Jezebelic spirit? Oh no, God didn't tell me. I told him, shut it. If they leave the church, let them do. But don't switch on lights and inconvenience families also because these choirs too have families. The people playing the drums have families. The men watching security that day have families. But they've foregone it because they're submitting to the will of serving God and being available to Him as faithful servants. And now there's an inconvenienced family that contributes 20 bags of cement every week and you're going to break divine protocol because you need to satisfy these wonderful beings that cannot adjust to the will and purposes of God. Let them go hug. You understand what I'm saying? Let them hug. I am your servant. Only as the Lord has allowed me to serve him. If he fires me, God forbid, I can't serve you. Do you know that? You remember the people in Macedonia? They gave themselves unto God, the Bible says, first unto God and unto us by the will of God. We only serve you by the will of God. But firstly, we give ourselves to God. So we are not slaves. We are servants of God and by that we will serve you. Who is following what I'm saying? So if you told God, if you told the Holy Spirit that at 10 a.m., this is where my altar will open. God, heaven will honor you and say every 5 p.m. in Fanero on Thursday, I'll open heaven. That's what the Spirit has done. And then you hear pastors saying, you know, even though we are to begin at 5, the people have not yet come. So let's not begin the service. Let's wait it out for the people to come. So what are you doing? You are now designing this altar to adjust to the conveniences of people in the deception that you are serving them, yet actually breaking the protocol of true service. One, you're not fair to the man who honored God, who came on time. But number two, you are grieving the person of the Holy Spirit because he is present at 5 p.m. Ready to do what you ask God to do from 5. So I tell my folk, once it is 5 p.m., let the cameras be switched on whether we have three members or four. Because I understand my friend Richard will be coming from a work 
and his work will end at six and he can only have 30 minutes to get to the ground, I understand him. If his work would end earlier, he would be on that ground. But I have a problem with one Roger who doesn't even have a job and is also coming in at seven. You have already broken divine pattern. Why? Because there is a man who is dying to get there on time. They're only held back by their unavoidable circumstance. They need to work and that's granted by God. God sees their heart. They come in at 7.30 because that's the only time they have to breathe. And you, you don't have a job. You're doing nothing in your father's house. You're eating your father's food. You're bathing their water. You are borrowing their transport. They even gave it to you in the morning and you come to service at 7.30. You're not wise. You have a foolish spirit on you. And that's the attitude you think that God is somehow going to position into the place of being a CEO. How is it going to lead that organization? How are you going to manage the rest when you're not managed in your spirit? Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. In among the nine, you know, things that we call the fruit, it's one of the spirit. Self-control is among them. He says against such there is no law. There is no law because this is the law. There is no other principle, he's saying, by law or otherwise, that can provoke you or propel you to the success you need if you cannot control yourself. If you can't even manage that time. Okay, there's somebody who came in service today because, and they came late. But they came because of unavoidable circumstances. They even struggled to get transport or they came from far or they had a puncture on the way or, you know, they had a baby to change and, you know, certain things extended. These are circumstances unavoidable. I cannot judge them. But in there, there's a person who walked in 15 or 30 minutes when I started to preach. Oh, and they don't even live far. They live here in Tinder. And oh, by the way, they had the transport. And oh, by the way, they were just extended on some casting. They were watching on their phone and they were just lazy to come out of bed and probably they took their breakfast longer because they're out of the 40-day fast so they need to indulge and, you know, excel. And, you know, this is just lazy. Yeah, they're going to come to church, you understand? At their own time. And some of you don't think for a moment that those little actions have a huge bearing on the direction of your destiny. Because you're not deceiving grace to the beggar. You're not here for him. If you don't attend, then I mean I will not preach. But you're telling heaven that you're not yet ready for greatness. You're telling heaven you're not yet ready for greatness. Look at every man. Look at every man. Yeah. Look at, for example, let me give an example of the president of Uganda. This guy has been in leadership for 31 years. I've never seen another president. I'm not now talking about politics. I'm just saying... Who has ever taken time to study this man's life? Ask those around him and ask them, what time does he get up every day of his life? He has no luxury to get up at 10 because he's leading 44 million heads, including yourself. And each head is thinking on its own. Now to lead for more than 30 what years, and you can still control his heads. Brother, you can't wake up at midday. You can't. You can't. You can't be drunk for a few hours. You can't. Now, I am not in any way trying to be political. I am a neutral person. I'm not political. I'm a man of God. You know me. But you can learn something from a disciplined life. 
This guy tells you he has been sober all his life. No wonder. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you you're intoxicating your head and you understand how? Do you see how life works? You listen. This is the truth. This is the truth. The Bible says be sober. Be sober. The Bible says be sober. 24/7 your brain should be working. Every leader has a disciplined life. Listen. Every day of my life, almost every day of my life, 3 4 a.m. I'm up. Every day of my life. I probably have to go back to bed to still a few minutes at 7 or so. But those 3 4 5 hours I'm recreating because you want a devotion every morning. You want a someone and it's deep today it has to be deeper tomorrow. And the other day it's got to be deeper. And the other day it's got to be deeper. But you see, I am using the time dimension well. Don't think that I'll just chill in my bed and sleep every day and just wake up with revelation and action. No. No, 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 it's not how it works. I have to study, I have to sharpen myself, I have to pray, I have to prepare my spirit. I have to seek the answers of your heart so I can reconcile with your world and be able to communicate to you to touch your most holy emotion. But I have to use time well. I can use example upon example upon example upon example upon example. But all of this is leading us to one thing. All of this is leading us to one thing. That whether you want it or not, many of you cannot feature in the success equation because you have failed to master this one thing. Time. Ecclesiastes 9:10 Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with might, for there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave where you go. Eventually one day you're going to go out. By the time you're done, while you still have this opportunity, give the best for everything. If you're working, work like you know you're on a mission and whatever you're doing initial time has a bearing on your positioning eternally. Stop thinking two weeks, four weeks. You know, don't be like those kids who are beaten and then they behave for two weeks and then after one month they go back to their old pattern. The dog has returned back to its vomit. The Bible calls it the seat of iniquity to rebuild the very things you destroyed. You transgressor. Are you following what I'm saying? One day I'm preaching in the US and I'm one of those first times I go there. And so I was supposed to go on the pulpit at 7 p.m. And the plan was that the driver to take me to the church was supposed to be at 6. And so I dressed, did everything and I was down at 6:15. Indeed the driver was there, sat in the car, was at the church about 6:45, 15 minutes refreshed, did everything, prepared myself. 7 p.m. I was on the altar and I was on time. Now, a mentor that I regard so greatly and a man that I've seen so effectively function in international ministry called me on the side because he was among those who picked me to go to the meeting and told me that if you ever want to build a successful ministry on these shores manage your time because we don't care how anointed you are We don't care how deep you are. We don't care how smart you are. We care that you respect our time. Was I late on the altar? No. I was late for the driver. And he told me I've seen many men come through this nation with the greatest gifts because they cannot manage time. 
I've seen them lose a great opportunity because by God, they cannot control themselves. This is a young man with many dreams. You know, these Europeans, Americans, Asians, their minds are oriented. These white folk, their minds are oriented. If you say you're meeting them at two, you mean 2 p.m. That's how they understand it. Okay? You can call and say, hey, I'm sorry. And are you not out of courtesy? They say, oh, don't mind. Take your time. They don't mean it. No, no, no. Take your time. They don't mean it. They're just trying to be humble to tolerate your madness. But when you're talking or dealing with an oriented mind, they are philosophical insult. They are programmed. They are patterned. They are like that. That's how they see life. That's why in Fenerre, you can see a few white folk. Because they might understand me a bit. Do you understand? No offense taken. They might understand me a bit. You see what I'm saying? That's why you can go on TBN or Desk and they understand us. Because we are a bit attuned to their orientation. Now, you Africans, sorry to speak, you tell a guy we're meeting at three. You actually mean five. You actually mean five. Something's wrong with us. One guy was planning his wedding. And he said, you know, service begins at one. Reception begins at three. But our people, I know them. You say, he said, service begins at midday and reception at two. So somebody was manipulated into telling a lie to establish truth. That's like Abraham impregnating Hagar and telling her that Ishmael is his heir. Yeah, it looks like that. Sorry for the analogy, but mm -hmm, that's it. You understand? So, from there on, I learned my lesson. If I am invited in a church and they tell me that your service begins at 7 and the driver will pick you at 6, I will be at the lobby 15 minutes before or 20 minutes before. Just waiting. I wait on the opportunity. The opportunity does not wait on me. And I know they need me, but I wait on the opportunity. You see? If it is Sunday service, between 10 to 10, 15, I'm on the altar. If it is uh, second service, between 11 to 11, 15, or slightly before, I should be on that altar. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Because that's a disciplined life. It's not easy to do that, but you have to. Oh yes, we extend time by, because you know, sometimes... And I have always warned people in the second service that I'll always push your time a bit because many people in the second service, those are people who join the church four or five years lower. The people, the older ones usually attend the first service. They're okay. But you, because I want to take more time with you, I push it and I ask for your permission. If you don't agree and you feel your time is up, you go home and watch a movie. But <laughs> the point is that you should never find the word on the altar. You should never find the preacher on the altar. That's already an error spiritual. And it can cost you more than you think because you're telling God that you can be on time for an interview, but you cannot be on time for him. Those people who come late, they can never be late for a flight. They can't be late for a flight. They can't be late for an interview. They can't be late for a movie. If you tell them, we're going to the movies on Saturday, they're going to be showing uh, the Black Adam and it's premiering in this cinema, and it starts at 8 p.m. They don't come late. 7.30, they're in the line with popcorn. Quack, quack, quack. So why are you late for the things of God? Why are you late for the things of God? 
Why are you late? That world, your fallen world can't take it. You see? You imagine you're an employee and they tell you, bank opens at 8 a.m. as a banker. 8 a.m. Business should start. That means we have to be in the bank by 7.45, clearing our things, opening the tills, switching on the systems, calling some reports, having, you know, the briefs in the morning before we start the day. 8, 8.30, the branch should be open. If you come at nine, once, twice, you have a warning. And they'll chase you off. They'll fire you. If a bank can't take it, why do you think God takes it? Oh, because there's nothing that has happened to you. No, you're frustrating your own destiny. This is not the realm of forgiveness. No, it's a realm of understanding that when you are going to go in places of responsibility, there is a process and that process will warrant certain principles that govern it for them to be built or constructed in your system because God does not use unready vessels. Have you learned something? Manage your time. Manage your time. Manage yourself. The world will become a very easy place for you. It will become a very easy place for you. Now, these are lessons so hard to teach a, someone above 20 because you've had a whole lifetime of wiring. But there is nothing the Holy Spirit cannot do. He can mold you. He can shape you. Praise the Lord. And I pray for all of us, including myself. Lord, help us to manage the time. I don't know how long we're living, but all I know is that eventually time comes when we must ascend. Before we do, Lord, we use our time wisely. There are people here, and I feel it so heavy in my heart, like I don't know how to express it to you. It's close to tears who have lost the bearing of their destinies because of the many times they have frustrated the time dimension. But there's grace here to restore you and align you. May God give you the opportunity to redeem what you've lost. Because it's only in the Bible where he redeemed the years you lost and eaten by the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the eater. May God help you redeem what you have lost. May he align you to the wisdom to save the rest so the end of you will be as though you never lost anything. In Jesus' name I've prayed and believed. Amen. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing. If you're frustrated in any aspect of your life, may God restore you. I pray for your families. I pray for your jobs. I pray for your businesses. I pray for your careers. This is the best month of your life. This is the best year of your life. This is the best week of your life. In Jesus' mighty name, we prayed and believed in an awesome said. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again.
Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at fenero.org. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.